2,000 years ago, God transmitted a message to the world through his son that changed the world and that continues to change the world today. The, the original message that, that Jesus came and died for us, that message, it, it retains its power. And there are people that will try to tell you that message is old, that message is outdated, it doesn't matter anymore. That message retains its power. What Jesus did for us uh, is not something that, that goes away. But the cool thing is that we have this amazing privilege to be able to come along beside that message and to retransmit it to those around us who need to hear that message, who need to know that Jesus died for them. And that idea that we share Jesus, that we share the gospel with other people, that is our mission. Our mission is to share Jesus and his message and all that he did for us with the world. We need to let them know what we know, if that's something we already know, and that we hold in a high place of importance in our lives, and I hope that it is. And it's our mission individually to do that, but it's also our mission as a church, as New Life Christian Church, as, as the entirety of, of our congregation. And the truth is that that mission is best accomplished in community, which is cool because I also believe that communities are at their best when they have a mission. And so you get this cool cycle, and I was going to have somebody more artistic than me draw this, but I'll just do it. Um, and so you get community, you get mission, and it's a cycle. Oops, I didn't spell community right. Um, it's a cycle. And so community is at its best on mission. Missions are best accomplished through community and around and around and around, and they stay related. And so in order to better move forward in our mission as a church, we try to create opportunities for community because we believe that the better the community, the better we do with our mission. One way we do that is on Sunday mornings, or Sunday, it's afternoon now. Um, we have three different services. If you've, and how many of you have been to all three services? I didn't ask that in first service, I meant to. In second service, it's like half the people. I didn't realize that many people had been to all three services. We have three different services that are in a lot of the ways the same and yet different at the same time. And each of those services has become, in a way, a community. You see a lot of the same people every week. You sit around a lot of the same people every week. A lot of people sit kind of, in the, even in this service, with, a, with as few of us as there, are, there sometimes are, you kind of tend to sit in the same area. You kind of create a butt imprint on a chair, and that's where you settle every Sunday because that's where it's comfortable. But what happens is that in some cases, you end up building actual relationships with the people who sit around you every Sunday because you simply you, know, you say, hey, how you doing, every Sunday morning. And if you think about that, even just a brief Sunday conversation, coming into church and seeing those same people, talking to that person or those people every single week places them pretty high on your list of people that you regularly interact with, because you probably have friends or family that you don't even speak to once a week. And so there's people, you see them every Sunday, and whether you realize it or not, you begin to build relationships. Community is built through geographical proximity and relationships. That, that's how it happens. And so simply by being, and, and I know that we say from time to time, don't sit in the same place every Sunday, but there, there are positives to that. And so we believe that the community happens to a certain level through Sunday morning services. But we also believe that offering more opportunities uh, in smaller groups of people to foster community is important. We started these Connect events uh, in the last couple of years, and they've been fantastic. We have Women's Connect events, uh, and I know that those have been impactful both for the ladies that have gone and, and beyond. Um, they've had some kind of fun events where they had a game night a couple weeks ago. 
They've had some more serious events where they had a, a full day of teaching and discussion. Um, and I think most of the events have involved some pretty legitimate food as well, which is good because since my wife kind of um, leads those things, I get the leftovers, and I like leftovers. So that works out well for me. Um, but if you've ever been a person who said, you know, I don't know the people who go to the other services, I would encourage you to check out one of these events. Uh, same thing goes for our men's connect events. We've done some men's breakfasts. There's food again. Maybe food is the secret to community. I, that, may be, that may be it. But we're planning a whole series of those, uh, again, this fall, some men's events that won't just be breakfast, but I think it'll always involve food. And so there are these opportunities we have to, to find and foster community, to meet some guys that you haven't you know, really met before. Beyond that, we believe a lot in our life groups. Life groups are even smaller groups that foster community. Life groups meet both here at the church and in homes throughout the week on different days and in different times. And some meet weekly and others meet every other week and others maybe more sporadically. And they study a wide variety of topics. Some, some study books of the Bible. Others look at things from a topical uh, standpoint, things like marriage and family and faith and sins and struggles. And life groups study together and they pray together and they pray for one another and they support one another, and they serve together, and all of those things sound like community to me. We also, we also do our community projects, especially the ones where you have to show up to serve. Um, if you've ever been a part of our Corals Christmas Project or our free yard sale um, or any of those other projects where you, where you show up to serve, you, you will know that community happens pretty quickly when you're serving side by side with somebody. You know, we do our yard sale, and people bring all this stuff it's pretty easy to build a relationship with somebody when you're sorting through somebody's clothes from the 70s and you're having a good laugh at what, what people have donated because it, it's, it's funny, the stuff that we have that we decide to get rid of and, and you're working alongside and you're carrying boxes and you're loading trucks together and all of a sudden you're just chatting about whatever and you've built this relationship. <clears throat> That's one reason during the art sale, you know, we sort all week long in here and we tell you, show up any night to serve. One of the reasons we do that is because you never know who you're going to end up sorting with and who you might build a relationship with. And that's a good thing. We're not always great at this whole community thing, but we try to create as many opportunities as possible for community to happen. And here's why. In the world we live in today, people struggle to find community. But I think the bigger issue is people don't always realize they need community. And the reason that's true, there are several reasons, actually. One is this. According to a study from several years ago, uh, they said most people, and I'd love to know what they mean by most people, but they said most people move on an average of every three years. That sounds like a lot to me. I don't like moving. I don't think there's anybody that's like, hey, I would love to every couple years pack up all of my stuff and move it. It's just not a pleasant experience. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized I've been here for a little over six years, And the makeup of our congregation across all services has changed quite a bit. And a portion of that change has come from people moving away and people moving to the area. So so people do move a lot more than I think they used to. Uh, Community takes time. And so if we're not settling in one place for very long, we have less time to make a deep connection with the the people around us. Additionally, modern conveniences have, have changed our ability and honestly our willingness to find organic community. Uh, there, there's one particular, one of the biggest modern conveniences that changed the way we function when it comes to community. Does anybody know what it is? I want actual answers. Modern thing that came along that changed. Anybody? 
Not social media. That is a good guess. That's a guess I've had every service. And cell phone is also one I've had every service. Not what I'm looking for. Anybody else? Radio? No? That's interesting. You're going back in the right direction, though, timing-wise. You know what it is? Air conditioning. Air conditioning has changed the way we feel about connecting other people. Because it used to be, I've, I've heard this, this was before my time, people used to sit on the front porch. People used to talk to their neighbors. They used to come over and have a glass of lemonade and, and do that and have those connections. And, and now we retreat inside. And we don't really like people to just show up at our house. And, and we don't do that, right? Air conditioning did that to us. It sounds like a simple thing, but it, but it had a strong effect. Two other things are kind of in the, the realm of, of the guesses you guys made. Uh, individualized forms of entertainment have made a big difference. We can watch a movie on our phone by ourselves. used to be if you want to go see a movie, you were going to go with someone um, or something like that. We can play a game on our phone or other device all by ourselves. And you might say, well, I'm playing a game against other people. Well, that's the other thing that has affected our ability to find community, which is the rise of social media. And this one is particularly damaging to real community because social media makes people feel like they're connected. We get immediate feedback. We get comments and discussions and all of those things and plenty of likes and we have hundreds of friends and we say, oh, I'm so connected. But social media doesn't alleviate feelings of isolation and loneliness that we all experience from time to time. In fact, social media has the ability to actually exacerbate those problems. In truth, there are people who don't believe that we actually need community, that we need relationships. I think they're nuts. I enjoy my alone time as much as the next guy, but it doesn't take long for me to to get sick of being alone, for it to drive me crazy to be by myself. And some of you probably think to yourselves, yes, if I was alone with Craig for very long, I'd go crazy too. Um, We're in the same boat on that one. But but there are people who, who believe it's just not necessary to be in community. I can just be by myself and be fine. But here's my point. Whether you think you need community or not, you do. You don't have to agree with me because that's not the point this morning. By the time we're done today, I want to make sure that we all understand just how important the idea of community is to our mission as individuals and as a church. It doesn't matter what you, whether you think you need it or not. It's key to our mission. And I think the best way for us to learn that is by looking at the early church, how it came to exist and how it grew. And honestly, it all started with Jesus. Jesus modeled what it looks like to be in community. I mean, Jesus essentially started a life group, right? He got this small group of guys who would become his closest friends and partners in ministry. We call them the 12 disciples. But catch the way that I said that. I said they would become his closest friends and partners in ministry. You see, sometimes I think we hesitate to get involved in a smaller group within the church or even get involved with the church at all because we say, I won't know anybody. I'm not going to know anybody when I get there. It's going to be awkward because I don't know anybody and it's just I'm not going to do it. But these disciples, these guys, other than a couple specific relationships within them, across the 12 disciples and Jesus, they didn't all know each other already. They weren't already all hanging out together. When Jesus called them, they were all new to one another. Other than, like I said, a couple brothers and a couple friends that worked together, they were not already this group. They became the tight-knit group that they were by spending time together and serving together and following Jesus together. It wasn't the other way around. And so I would say not knowing anyone is actually a good reason to get involved in a church, to get involved in a life group. 
And so Jesus invested in these guys, he invested in these 12 disciples, and he modeled for them how to live and serve and lead and spread his message. And those are the things that most of them continue to do beyond Jesus' own life. And when Jesus went to the cross, when he died, and they buried him in a tomb, these guys had to wonder what was going on. Because they had devoted their lives to following Jesus. They had given up everything else that they were doing to follow him, and now he was gone. And I'm sure that they had doubts, and and we can't blame them for having doubts. I think we would probably have doubts in their shoes as well. But then they heard the news. The news that Jesus wasn't dead anymore, but that he had resurrected. And, And Jesus appeared multiple times to different people after he resurrected. And the disciples in that realized that they hadn't wasted time following him. Because he really was who he said he was, and he really did what he said he was going to do. And the thing is, Jesus told them a bunch of times exactly how this was going to go down. He said, I'm going to be killed. They didn't get it. They didn't believe him. They didn't want to believe him. I don't really know what it was. But I'd say, this is the point where they said, you know what? He did tell us. We should have known all along. And before Jesus left earth, before he ascended to heaven... He said this to his small group, to his closest friends, to his disciples. It's one of the most well-known passages in Scripture in Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 19. He said, Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And with that, he gives them their mission. And he says, I'll be there. Which, which may be a little confusing because shortly thereafter, Jesus would ascend into heaven. The disciples watched him go, and they're probably thinking, I'm, I'm with you always, but I'm leaving. But before he left, he said this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth which is a little less confusing. You know, we talk a lot about God the Father and and Jesus the Son, but we don't spend a whole lot of time talking about the Holy Spirit. And yet the Holy Spirit is one of the keys to the story of the beginning of the church. The early church began after Jesus ascended into heaven, as Jesus left its early leaders with this mission to make disciples. But he didn't leave them alone in that task when 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven, The Holy Spirit showed up on the Jewish holiday of Pentecost. And Scripture says that the the disciples heard a sound like rushing wind, and they saw this thing like fire. My guess is the reason it's like wind and like fire is because it was beyond anything they had ever experienced before. That it was supernatural, that it was beyond our human understanding. And Scripture tells us that all the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit and that in that moment they all started miraculously speaking different languages. And the cool thing was they could still all understand one another. And Peter then gave this amazing sermon in Jerusalem to a huge number of diverse people groups who were all gathered there. And then we read these words in Acts 2.41. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 in all. The church before Pentecost probably consisted of about 120 followers of Christ. 120 faithful. 
And now in one day, the church sees exponential growth with 3,000 new Christ followers. It is extremely important for us to understand that the early church was a movement gathered around a mission. You've heard people say first, what came first, the chicken or the egg? I don't know. But if the question is what came first, the mission or the church, it was the mission. This wasn't a group of people who said, hey, let's hang out together. Oh, by the way, we should have some sort of goal, some sort of mission for our random group of people. God didn't give a mission to the church. God formed the church to fulfill His mission. And it's really important that we understand that. And so if we do understand that, then the question becomes, what's a church? Which either sounds like a really easy question or some sort of trick question. But there are two ways that people usually view the church. Usually it's either I go to church or I am the church. In truth, the church is, is not something I, I attend. It's a people I belong to. Church is not a program or a time slot. It's not just a one-hour commitment. But, but for a lot of us, that's what it ends up looking like. Because we do make it a one-hour commitment a week. And we, we do just make it an event we go to. And we say, I went to church and we check it off our list. But it's much beyond all of that. The, the word for church in the New Testament, if you look at the original language, was the word ecclesia, which basically is the word for a gathering of people on mission, which sounds exactly like what we're talking about here. And so the question then becomes, uh, how do we grow in community like the early church? Because the early church grew in community and exploded, and, and it's still here today. So what can we learn from them? Well, I think the first thing we can learn from them is that we need to be learners of God's Word. Let me share with you the, very, the, the first part of the very next verse after the baptism number, after the 3,000 were added that day. Here's the first part of the very next verse, Acts 2.42. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now there are strong words in that verse. All the believers, and of course the word devoted themselves. When you are devoted to something, you give yourself to it. That which you are devoted to becomes everything to you. They wanted to know more and more about what God had to say through His Word. They didn't just say, well, we'll go to temple once a week and, and we'll read Scriptures then. They wanted to know what was going on. They wanted the apostles to teach them as often as they could. They wanted to know what this meant and how this could be applied to their lives. They were devoted to the teaching of the apostles. Devoted to it. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this about Scripture. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Now that absolutely sounds like something worth devoting ourselves to, and yet so many of us don't treat it that way. And we leave our Bible in the car, and we say, well, I don't want to forget it on Sunday. Well, Sunday's not the only time we need our Bible. If we're only cracking it on Sunday, we're really missing out. We need to value the study and application of the Word of God in our lives. That's why we teach from the Bible on Sundays. It's why we study Scripture together during the week in life groups. And it's why we encourage you to spend time on your own in God's Word. When we're learners of God's Word and we take what we've learned and we apply it, when we can do that, I promise you, what happens is that we begin to grow as individuals and then together as a body begin to grow because we, we begin to look more like Jesus. 
So we need to be learners of God's word. And then the second thing we need to do is we need to be devoted to sharing life together. And we're right back to community. That entire verse, 42 of Acts 2, says this, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. The Greek word from the original text that is translated to our word fellowship, it it means this, it means sharing in the lives of other Christ followers. Sharing in the lives. This is not just people you run into at church. And it talks about sharing meals. See, I said earlier, maybe the secret to this whole community thing is food. Sharing a meal is a practical way to build a relationship. It's simple, but it works. We should strive to get to the point where we have uh, people in our community who have refrigerator rights in our lives. Have you heard of this? Have you heard of refrigerator rights? I learned about this this week. Think about your house. Who in your life has the right to go in and, without saying a word, open your refrigerator and grab something to eat or something to drink? Those are the people in your life who have refrigerator rights. Now, most of you are thinking about it, you're going, well, pretty much just family. The people that live there, pretty much that's it. That's what I'm saying. The the level of of relationship that we're talking about here is is someone close enough to us that they can walk into our home, open the refrigerator, and help themselves. Most of us don't have very many people in our lives that fit that, that category. But those are the kinds of relationships that we need to be pursuing and building. Otherwise, we're not really all that close. We're not really sharing life together. And I'm not saying tell everybody just come help yourself to my fridge. That's, but, but you get what I'm saying. We won't even let people in our houses half the time. I have four little kids. That, usually that's a dangerous thing to walk through my house. But we, we don't, we, you know, if somebody comes to my door, I typically will step out on the porch to talk to them. And I know that's not a good way to build deeper community. And so we've, we've got to figure this out. We've got to figure out how to look more like the early church and our devotion to one another, devoted, being devoted to sharing life together. Because when we're alone, we're isolated. Even if we're close with our family, if we don't have much beyond family and a few friends, there are still feelings of isolation that come about. We need each other. We need community. An experiment was conducted a few years ago to measure people's capacity to endure pain. Now, I wouldn't sign up for a study like that. I I don't have a strong capacity for pain. But what they did was psychologists measured how long a person in their bare feet could stand in a bucket of ice water. Again, not my idea of a good time. But what they found was there was one particular factor that made it possible for people to stay in the water longer. What it was, was the presence of another person giving support and encouragement. The person standing in the ice bucket was able to endure the pain much longer if they had someone with them who was saying, just a little bit longer, just a little bit longer. You can go a little farther than that. Think warm thoughts. Life is full of icy buckets. It's full of cold and painful situations, but those situations are much more able to be endured when we're surrounded by friends to help us through it, to encourage us. The early church understood that they were better together So they did life together, and they took it to a ridiculous level. Acts 2.43, it says this, A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Have you ever experienced a moment of of awe, 
um, moments in life that take your breath away. I, I would have to call the, the births of my children those kinds of moments. Um, it was breathtaking. It was amazing. We've got a, a couple in the second service that went skydiving yesterday. I have to believe that moment where they came out of the plane and could say, I mean, I'd probably just pass out. But I think for them, it was probably a moment of awe to look down on God's creation from that distance and be free-falling. and It's crazy. On this day for the early church, there were 3,000 brand new Christians, and they were excited, and they were on fire for God, and he filled them with awe. Why? Because they took Jesus seriously, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, they had this brand new identity, and it was overwhelming for them. Sometimes we take these moments for granted, but this was an overwhelming, amazing, awe-inspiring day for these people. And then things get a little crazy in Acts 2, verse 44. It says, And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Two chapters later, the way that they they share things is described this way in verse 32. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. When someone was in need, people in the church met the need, and we're not talking about a meal here or a place to stay there. We're talking about if if selling my house is what it takes for me to help meet some needs, I'm going to do it. This was an intense level of community that I honestly think none of us have ever experienced. But that is how much they cared about one another. Verse 46 of chapter 2, it says, They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. So, so they met in large groups at the temple. They met in small groups at homes. Both of those gatherings were important to their spiritual growth. This was community. Do we get how important this is? Ultimately, community among Christ followers happens when a group of Christ followers is on mission. We see this in Acts because their mission was to spread the gospel. The mission was to make disciples. In verse 47, it says, All the while, they are praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Outsiders were seeing what was going on with this community of believers. They were hearing the message, but they were also seeing the genuine nature of their faith. They were watching the way that they lived. They saw how the believers genuinely loved God and loved one another and showed it through their actions, not just through their words. These folks connected with one another and began to have an impact on the world around them simply by the way they treated one another. Jesus said these words in John chapter 17, verse 23. He said, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. This is the kind of unity this early church had. That people looked at them and they said, whatever they're following must be right. The unity and the community of the church makes Jesus believable to a lost world. 
If we love one another, we can have a contagious love that the world looks at with curiosity. The problem is, if we don't appear to love one another, we can have the opposite effect. And I think we've seen what that looks like. If the world looks at the church and says there's no unity, why they're not going to believe the Jesus that we follow. If they look at the church and they say they don't even love one another, why should we care? Can we really blame them for that? The early church was made up of different people from different backgrounds who really shouldn't have gotten along. And yet they formed a community of believers together that spoke volumes to the people outside of the community of believers just by their existence, just by the fact that they spent time together. And the same is true for us. We're made up of different people from different backgrounds who in some cases really shouldn't get along very well and in some cases probably don't get along very well. And yet we're united in Christ. This matters. Ephesians 2.19 says this, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. When the Jews and the Gentiles started spending time together, that spoke volumes to the people around them because they used to be so divided. And now they were part of one family. 1 John 3.16 says this, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us, so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. And I believe when John wrote those words, he wasn't just talking about our, our, our biological brothers and sisters. He was talking about our community, the people in our lives. That we need to be willing to do what it takes to be there for them, to be a true community of believers. That's what we are. That's what we want to be. Because when we truly are a community of believers, a community on a mission, the same mission, I believe that then and only then we can change the world. And I believe that that community is found in Christ, the community found in churches all over the world, that when that community is thriving, it's something the world simply can't compete with. You know, sometimes we get caught up in trying to entertain you when it comes to church. And understand that I believe that there's a, a huge difference between utilizing technology and video and all those things we do and having some fun elements to church and, and simply trying to get people to come to church by entertaining them. Those are two different things. But sometimes churches, and, and we're certainly guilty of this, sometimes we flirt with the church as entertainment line. Like we get a little close to the line. And the truth of the matter is that, that we can never compete with the world from an entertainment standpoint. If we tried, we would fail because the world just seems to have that under control. But I really truly believe that we can get to the point where the world can never provide the kind of community that can be found in Jesus Christ and His church. I don't believe that we're there, but I believe we can get there. I believe God measures our lives by how much we love. How much we love Him and how much we love one another. And that that community, when it's, when it's right, when it's working, the world just can't compete with that. The early church received their message and their mission from Jesus, directly from Him. And the movement and mission of that church has never stopped and will never stop until Jesus returns. That movement and that mission, it's still our movement and our mission. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, it says this. These were Jesus' words. He said, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And Peter's the one that preached that sermon. 
that day when the church began. And I still believe that the powers of hell will not conquer the church that continues on today. We still have a message to share with the world because we serve a God that the world needs to know. We have a Savior the world needs to know died for them. We have a mission to share that message with the world, to make disciples. And again, I firmly believe that that mission is best accomplished in community. And that communities of people are at their best when they are on mission. So if you're on the fringe of the community, it's time to dive in deeper, to connect. Because we need each other, and together God will use us in powerful ways. But we need one another. We need to spur each other on to encourage one another to work together. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for for the scriptures that have been passed down through the generations, for being able to read about the early church, to see the impact that that small group of people had on the world around them. And to start with a just a handful of people and to explode the way that it did. They must have been doing something right. And so God, I pray that as we study Scripture and we see the way that they function, that we can learn what it looks like to be devoted to your word and be devoted to one another. Because I don't think very often we could be, you know, we could judge ourselves to say that we are devoted to your word or to one another. We might say, well, we, we make some time for God's word and we make some time for our brothers and sisters in Christ, but I just don't know that we're devoted. And yet that's what you call us to. God, I pray that we aren't ignoring our mission, which is to share you with the world. And God, as we enter this time of communion, I pray that you would help us to focus on the cross, on the sacrifice that you made for us by sending your son to die for us and to rise again. Help us to focus during this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.